0: Everybody is I, you all know you are you, and wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference, you are all of them, and when they come into being, that's you coming into being.
2: Hey, what is up, everyone, hope you are all doing well wherever you are in the world, and thank you so much to all the great feedback we had from last week's podcast conversation with Anthony Peake. Where we delve delve deep into the world of consciousness, we had such a great conversation. And this week, as promised, we had have the return of Andrew Collins. Last time Andrew was on the podcast, we talked about the Denisovians and Göbekli Tepe. And the last time when we were recording the podcast with Andrew, off after the podcast, I had a little conversation with Andrew. And I asked him the question, besides Gobekli Tepe and besides all the research you've done on ancient cultures, what other questions are you asking right now in your life? And he completely surprised me and Chris and said that he is really fascinated by the UFO conversation. So me and Chris said, why don't we do a conversation about that? It would be really cool. And as we know, Andrew is a really good researcher and comes highly recommended from people like Graham Hancock. And he's up there with all the great researchers and has done some great work on ancient cultures. So we thought if he's done the same due diligence and really researched, like he has the conversations about the past, what has he done on the UFO conversation? So me and Chris wanted to definitely have a conversation with him. And this is the conversation we bring to you today. But what's interesting about Andrew's angle to this, to the UFO conversation, is that he's not only coming from a standard UFO point of view with this, He believes it goes a lot deeper than just the the normal standard UFO conversation and he believes what is going on is interdimensional. So in this podcast we talk about interdimensional beings, we talk about the standard UFO conversation and tie that into it. We also talk about the multiple dimensions and much more. This was a powerhouse of a podcast and if you're not familiar with Andrew's other work, Andrew Collins is a science and history writer. He's the author of many different books that challenge the way we perceive the past. They include books from The Ashes of Angels, Gods of Eden, The Gateway to Atlantis, The Cygnus Mystery, Gobekli Tepe and The Cygnus Key. So I know you're going to love this podcast and just before we jump in, I just wanted to say if you can find it in your heart and you can support the podcast please consider doing that for our patreon page or our one-off donation option even two dollars a month for our patreon page will be a huge help and really help me and chris keep doing what we're doing and as you will know our aim of this podcast is to bring you the most inspiring and most interesting people on the planet that we can to your ears But we don't want to do it over Skype. We want to keep doing this in person. And with your help for our Patreon page and our one off donation option, this will really give us a platform and help us to keep doing these in person conversations, which, as you know, are much more richer. So, anyway, if you can, all we ask of you is consider supporting the podcast. Enjoy this conversation The Return of Andrew Collins. Enjoy. Anyway, Andrew, thank you so much again for joining us on the podcast for a second time. Feels like a short while since we were last here and we blew everyone's minds, minds who listened to the episode as well about the Tsanifans we talked about. But this time, obviously, which I never I never even realized that you were researching in the UFO conversation, but not only just looking at the the normal sort of standard UFO conversation and model, looking at a very different model and understanding of what is actually going on. Um, but could you just sort of describe what what sort of things you have been looking at in terms of the UFO conversation?
0: Yes, uh, UFOs for me is something that goes back a long way. Um, I mean, I started investigating UFOs back in the 1970s, a long time ago, I know. Um, And it became apparent to me very quickly that the standard... Idea that they were nuts and bolts spacecraft, you know, just like a sort of Boeing 747 flying over and people saw it and reported it, was inadequate to explain exactly what was going on. There was very clearly a psychic element. Um, people were sensing when UFOs were around. Um, the UFOs seemed to be responding almost to their consciousness or mind. Uh, and quite clearly, in close encounters, you know, lots of weird things were going on. I mean, the the, the objects would just materialise. They would, when they were close to people, they would uh, affect their brains. Quite clearly, people started losing, missing, you know, losing time. You know, the missing time experience, and obviously abductions followed. And I actually investigated the first ever UFO. Abduction car stop time lapse case in this country wow. it happened you know not far from where we're sitting here in Essex at a place called Averley um, back in 1974 a whole entire family uh, were going along the road in a car a short journey 20 minutes and they encountered a, a light going over which you know they identified as UFO uh, and then the the car headlights failed the the, the the tires they couldn't hear over the road anymore. Uh, the engine failed, and as they went round a bend, there was this luminous green mist covering the road. Uh, they ploughed into that, felt nauseous. Next thing they know, they're three quarters of a mile further on. Um, they get home, three hours are missing from their life. Uh, and eventually, this plays on their mind. Three years later, they come to me, and I investigated hypnosis. And at that time, I was very much still into the idea that you know UFOs and abductions were part of some kind of you know alien experiment or something like this but there were elements about the, the case which by the way I still believe today I'm still in touch with the the father of the family uh, he's a friend of mine um, but there are elements here that, that suggested something bigger was going on here this wasn't a straightforward case of a UFO coming down pulling people in inside it that that this was an interaction with something on what I would call almost an interdimensional level that what they were doing is being taken out of this time frame um, and placed somewhere else into what I refer to as a bubble universe that sort of opens up and appears to be the inside of a, uh, a UFO craft but it's basically almost like a dreamscape it's like uh, a creation between the mind of the people involved and the phenomena itself an interaction between the two different points of consciousness, theirs and ours, whoever or whatever theirs are, um, and they're quite literally taken out of our normal space-time. You know, the three dimensions that that, that we exist within, um, and for a period of you know three hours, they're away from it completely, and then they're dropped back down, as it were, um, and. Not only have they moved through space, but they've also moved through time. And when I say space, I mean a distance of three quarters of a mile. And this is the thing that got me thinking, is that there were three children in that car. They were all in the back seat. One was standing up with his hands resting on on the, the driver and passenger seat, standing up. The other two were asleep. When the family came out of this experience, the children were in exactly the same position as if they hadn't moved. Now, did this mean that the aliens conveniently put them back in the same place to hope that nobody would notice that that an abduction took place and blanked out their minds of what had occurred? Or was it the fact that they'd instantaneously jumped through time and that three hours had gone instantaneously? And Mm -hmm. I started looking into various other cases where similar things had occurred. Somebody encounters uh, an object and then they disappear from the spot for a number of hours and a return to that same spot, even though people have searched that location, and it's very clear from their testimony that they've disappeared and reappeared at the same spot hours later. So where did they go? Mm. Quite clearly, if they're not in our space time, where were they? Yeah. And that starts making us look at the possibility that some UFOs and um, you know aliens could be the result of an interaction with a higher not that's the wrong word. Not higher is not a right word, really. But you know, a a multi-dimensional environment, one that impinges upon our own space-time, and can in some way have an impact upon our world. Uh, and the best way of looking at all this from a very basic perspective is that we're in three dimensions. Now, one is essentially a, a point. Two dimensions is is a line in other words you know a, a flatland reality in other words it's just on a flat land flat plan thing whereas obviously the third dimension gives it the the, the 3d effect you know the three-dimensional effect you know mm. everything that, that we know and, yeah. and understand today well you think of the flatlanders the flatlanders just being on this flat plane and if you got something like a sphere and pushed it into their world all it would appear to be is just like a circle gradually expanding outwards before it gradually retracts as it goes through their world. Yeah. That's all they would see. They wouldn't see the sphere. They can't see the sphere. So if you think that we are on three dimensions and that there are higher dimensional consciousness, maybe life forms or whatever existing, then we can barely perceive of their existence. But we may well be able to feel and experience the impact of these higher dimensions in our realm. And I think that this is a way of approaching the UFO phenomena, which we should have been doing seventy years ago when this this you know that then Kenneth Arnold, the the first big UFO sighting, Mount Rainier, Washington State in nineteen forty seven, sees these objects flying over um, you know the mountains and the Cascade Mountains, and we all assume that it's alien technology. And I'm not saying that, you know, aliens haven't got technology or that they're not visiting us. Yeah. What I am saying is that there are multiple answers to the UFO phenomena mm. and we should continue to explore them on every level. Um, and, you know, we're not just te- dealing with technology here. You know, we're do- dealing with consciousness. As I said to you earlier, it became obvious that there was a relationship between the human mind or human consciousness and the phenomena. The, f- the phenomena was responding. Yeah to the witnesses to the experiencers uh, there is an interaction between it almost as if there was a bond th- that is well, created temporarily between the experiencer and the phenomena that's seen that's almost on a level of quantum entanglement
1: what i don't what i'm trying to work out is why why would they want to but on i looking on the outside looking in it looks like they want to it doesn't want to doesn't look like they want to gain a connection with us it looks like they want to understand us so maybe you do you think they want to understand us more before they make the initial connection
0: well i I think it's it's foolish in some ways to try and put a human interpretation Uh. on the experiences that are taking place around the world in every country of the world um you know, in other words, if we look at a few cases and say, look, what are those aliens trying to do? Are they trying to make contact with us? Are they are they good? Are they bad? Are they immoral? It, it's almost like putting labels on things which we really don't understand yet. This is a time of exploration. We should be looking at all possibilities. Yeah. I mean, we don't even know f- yet, for instance, that in these higher dimensions, there are other life forms. There's no absolute proof, no absolute evidence. But there are many things that we cannot explain in this world that could possibly, and I use this word possibly, be explained by the intrusions of um, of transdimensional uh, life forms, consciousness. Um, and when I say consciousness, think of our brains. Uh, there's a an organisation in Switzerland known as the the Blue Brain Project, uh, and recently they announced that the the human brain. And human consciousness operates on eleven different dimensions. Uh, now, eleven dimensions is something that's mentioned in various um, string theory ideas, okay. particularly supergravity, uh, where it where the the mm. mathematics um, of the theories to do with with sp- st- uh, string superstring theories re- requires that there are extra dimensions other than our own, probably eleven, um, and these eleven are said to have a reflection upon how the human brain operates. That's the finding of the Blue Brain Project. Now, I don't know how they have uh, achieved those results. Uh, it's something that I would definitely like to know more about. But here's the thing. If our brain is operating on multiple dimensions, and that does that mean, therefore, that our brain is also affecting these higher dimensions through quantum entanglement? Uh, which may need a little bit of explaining yeah. as well, of course. Yeah. But, you know, and if that's the case, then if there are other life forms out there, and their their brains, if you like, are also oper- operating on multiple dimensions, can they therefore affect us? In other words, is this a two-way thing? Is it possible for us to communicate, for us to create two-way communication between us and these... Uh, life forms or these points of consciousness which we can't really understand at this time yeah. and we can't even prove it's just a theory it's an idea that i think will help us better explore the ufo phenomena What what is
2: the um really interesting stuff by the way what is the uh, the current model of multiple dimensions that we understand now
0: well i mean there are a number of um of different ideas. I mean, obviously, there's the standard model of particle physics. There's yeah. you know, a certain number of um, very basic particles that make up uh, an atom. Um, but even for them to exist, uh, certainly within some of the theories, would suggest that we're still missing a few. And of course, yeah. obviously, uh, these particle accelerators like the Large Hadron Collider uh, in uh, Switzerland uh, is trying to find these these extra um, particles, yeah. and so far they haven't found them. Now, why have they not found them? Because they could exist on a higher dimensional, um, you know, vibrational frequency. Um, and, in other words, for us to complete the the standard model um, of particle physics, it necessitates uh, a number of of almost like um, antiparticles or. Uh, particles that exist in a in a multi- multi-dimensional environment, uh, and if that's the case, then we, that evokes other dimensions immediately. But as to how many there are, there are different theories. Uh, it could be five or six. It could be eleven. It could be twenty-six. It could be an infinite yeah. amount. The mathematics and geometry of um, of of multiple dimensions already exists. I mean, there is this um, mathematical um, uh, formula worked out through this this pyramidical structure known as Pascal's triangle. Uh, And each different row of that relates to a different dimension, one, two, three. But the the geometry that's formed by each of the rows suggests that that geometry continues into higher dimensions, into the fourth dimension, the fifth dimension, the sixth dimension, the seventh dimension, mm-hmm. eighth dimension. But the thing is that the rows of Pascal's triangle uh, can be infinite. So this also suggests that there are infinite um, there are infinite dimensions. But within this, almost certainly, you you have fractalization. In other words, um, it's broken up into uh, much smaller units. That when you Zoom those out, obviously you've got the same thing. When you zoom those out, you've got the same thing, which is obviously what's fractals. Yeah. And of course, this is something that probably makes up the entire universe. You might ask, well, where are all these other yeah. um, dimensions? Well, uh, scientists believe that they're probably folded up and have been folded up since the, the beginning of um, you know, the, the Big Bang. Um, so where are they? Well, they're inside particles. They're inside every particle, so they are everywhere. You know, it's like the air that we breathe. I mean, a, a, an oxygen particle is extremely small. But because it's all around us, we don't notice it's there. You know, there are oxygen particles everywhere yeah. around the Earth within the atmosphere, forming the atmosphere. So, in other words, they are around us. They are having an impact all the time. Hmm. But quite clearly, um, we've just perceived them in a, in a sort of uh, microscopic manner so we think well they've got no impact on us but of course they're there all the time and all of these different dimensions are almost certainly interlinked um and once they're interlinked then they almost form like a a framework behind our own space time in other words they're all interact they're all interplay it almost becomes like a sort of subatomic realm and it's through this almost certainly that quantum entanglement works Uh, A few words on that, I think. (laughs) Um, Quantum entanglement is the idea that a particle has a twin, that when 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 it came into existence, it created a twin. Now, whether this is a separate twin or whether it can be in two places at once is a huge debate at the moment. But the fact is that when you tweak one of the particles, its twin responds in an equal and opposite manner. And it doesn't matter how far away that the twin gets it will still respond. Now, if you can think that this is with every particle, then that means that some of the particles, let's say in my head, might have twins in your head. And if the ones in my head are doing the same dance, then they'll be doing the same dance as the ones in your head. And that is what we might call telepathy um, or a shared communication. But it's also non-local. In other words, there is no obvious connection and it's also instantaneous. In other words... It's not something happening um, with one particle that's knocking another particle that's knocking another particle, that's knocking, another particle that's knocking another particle until it reaches the destination, like, say, sound vibration. Mm. What's happening is that if you tweak one, the other one responds instantaneously. Mm. But and, and it doesn't matter how far away. You can have one at one side of the galaxy and the other, the other one at the other. And in theory, and they've, they've been doing experiments, it's like, this is scientific stuff, this is not New Age jargon or whatever, mm. that the experiments have shown that the further and further you get away, the same thing still happens. You know, the, 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 the two particles, you know, the twin particles still respond to each other. And the other important thing about this is because they're happening outside of, of, of normal space-time, that almost certainly this is something that's beyond time itself. In other words, it's very possible that one of those twins could be in the past wow. whilst the other one is in the future. Uh, and this obviously then brings in the significance of things like premonitions, precognition, the idea of fate and destiny. It is written. It is written that one day you will do such and such. What is all that about? Well, it's the idea quite clearly that, that what we call telepathy which scientists would today call quantum entanglement, the entanglement of consciousness is something that works across time yeah. and can affect time. We can affect the past, the past can affect us, we can affect the future, the future can affect us. That In some linear possible form, some type of future already exists. Uh, and that it's all interconnected and it's all out there somewhere. It's almost like this great, you know, brain of the universe if you like with all informational knowledge i mean Mm. obviously great mystics ascetics in the past have talked about these ideas i mean i personally call it the mind of god Uh, not in a religious sense you know it's not god himself you know it's not some guy sitting on a cloud it's 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 almost like if you could conceive of every mind linked in the past the present the future and not just humans all nature all life, what? all all species. That's what I call the mind of God.
1: That's so Oh, sorry, I was just going to say there, but that's uh, such a a big like shock and like a big wake up for like how powerful the human body and the human mind are actually actually conceive and like can actually see and understand the workings of the universe. It makes me think as well: Are we, you know, with the advancement of technology and and um, the human potential itself,
0: are we on the cusp of really? like unraveling it all. Of course. And, I mean, you have to think in terms of where all this is going, what's going on here. You know, you're using terms which um, which, which, which are new. I mean, we, for instance, refer to these life forms, when I say maybe the group that I'm yeah. working with, you know, to try and further these ideas in the areas of science and technology. Uh, we refer to these life forms, these potential points of consciousness in higher dimensions. As I, I hate that term because... Higher than what, ultimately, it really, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah. it's a multiple or transdimensional or interdimensional. Higher is probably not a good term. But the, if these life forms do exist, then we shouldn't call them aliens. Um, you know, we shouldn't call them monsters. We couldn't, shouldn't call them anything. I mean, in a way, they're what we call n-beings. The n relates to number, the amount of dimensions beyond, you know, including our own, are what's known as the end dimensions, end meaning number, we don't know how many yet. It could be five, six, could be 11, could be 26, could be a thousand, million. We don't know. So, any just means number. So, that the life forms that exist in these realms should just be called that end beings. That's what we call them. And we, we refer to you know the possible communication with them as end contact, yeah, you know, in other words, trans dimensional contact. And what we're looking for is methods to try and create two-way communication. This is what we're working at right now. Um, And what we've been doing is working at places which you might refer to as portals. You know, those are locations that seem to produce strange events and paranormal activity um, on a regular basis, and have do in a historical context. You know, indigenous peoples may well have seen these areas as, as haunted by the fairies, the goblins, the, you know, the the, the, the monsters of the past. In a modern day context, context they're where people see UFOs and strange lights, mysterious creatures, crypto creatures, uh, uh, other types of paranormal activity occur. Um, in America, for instance, you have places like the like Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. Mm. Um, the San Luis Valley Inn, um, in Arizona, I think it is, or is it Carlisle, I can't remember now. But anyway, um, and in this country, you have most obviously Rendlesham Forest in East Anglia, yeah. uh, and the area around Alton Barnes and Avebury in Wiltshire. Um, and the place that we have been focusing on, I mean, there are other sites we've been working with as well, is Rendlesham Forest. Uh, And something that we noticed uh, a while ago, which we're beginning to focus on now, is that we were getting very strange bursts of activity on very low frequency sound waves, Mm -hmm. sub audio sound occur, and that they corresponded almost perfectly to our own actions and what we were doing at these sites, calling up these end beings, and that we were getting responses. And we've been looking at this. Uh, I've been working with um, my engineer friend Rodney Hale, uh, who's been working, at, you know, within this this field of you know the paranormal and trying to monitor you know unknown energies and things like that for the last uh, thirty five years. Yeah. Um, and we're we're creating you know instrumentation that's working specifically on this frequency range, you know, to try and see if we can fine tune what we perceive as a possible means of communication into the realm of these trans dimensions uh, and it's very very exciting because you know it, it, it it's something which i think that if we can develop and can actually achieve and prove which is going to be very very difficult of course then it's a case of well where do you take it on to the next stage why are you doing this i mean are you just trying to show that they exist or is there a greater purpose here yeah. And I think that you have to look towards the future of humanity itself. Where are we going? What are we doing? And one of the things that we are developing right at this time and coming along online very very soon is quantum computing. Quantum computing is going to revolutionise yes. the way that uh, computers are used. At the moment, we use the um, the binary system, you know, the nope one 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 naught naught whatever. You know, this this process of communicating. Um, you know, data uh, within the, pro- the the computer processing. Yeah. With quantum um, computing, you're going to be using what's known as qubits, which uh, essentially is working through the process of quantum entanglement. This is the idea that the particle can be in both places at once. So now you have multiple positions. Uh, and this is going to allow computers to virtually think for themselves in a way which we have never understood. They're going to become sentient. They're not just going to become AIs. They're going to think for themselves in a big, big way. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, obviously you start thinking of Skynet and things yeah. like this, but <laughs> let's not try and get that far advanced at the, f- <laughs> at the moment. Let's, want, let's, let's hope that everything will always be under control. But it, they're going to use quantum entanglement. Now, what have we already said about quantum entanglement? The fact is that, that the human consciousness can affect, use human cons, con, um, human, sorry, quantum entanglement to affect... Reality, Um, and what it was found is that within um, quantum mechanics, that if an observer looked at the um, the experiment, it would change the results. Now, I mean, this this is what you know Einstein referred to as the the spooky action at at a distance, basically. You know that that this was just something that that you know that we shouldn't be going into. God does not play dice <laughs> yeah, yeah. with with the you know with, with reality of the world, whatever quote it was. But the fact of the matter is that what we now know as the observer effect is real. That if we look at experiments on a, on a on a on a, uh, on a quantum level, we can affect the results so much so that I suspect that this is worrying some of the. Um, the, 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 the people in Silicon Valley who are creating these, um, you know, and obviously in other parts of the world, these quantum computers, that if we look at them whilst they're processing, could it not change the results? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I, I, mean, I'm, I, I suspect therefore they're going to want to put them away in, in some dark corner where nobody can actually see <laughs> what's going on within thick-lined boxes <laughs> that nobody can penetrate in any way, shape or form. But here's the thing if our consciousness can affect quantum computing, very clearly, other forms of consciousness will be able to affect it as well. And mm.
2: that's the question I was going to ask you. What sort of, if, if there is some sort of higher intelligence that's operating on that level, I can interact with that. What, like, what are them? What is the intelligence behind them? Have you exactly.
0: questioned that, yeah. Mm. And so now there's got to be some smart people out there that are thinking, well, A, this is going to be a big problem if other life forms do exist. But secondly, how can we utilize it? How can we, how can we bring this into the fold and work with these ideas? And I suspect this is something that we're going to be looking at over the next 20, maybe 50 years, that the idea that there may be life forms existing on multidimensional environments, what we call the end beings, are something that we can poss- potentially work with in the future, I'm sure that that's something that we should be looking at, and that the type of work that, that we're doing now is where this is going, is to form two-way communication. Now, the skeptic is gonna be listening to this and saying, well, hold on, isn't it just a coincidence that you got this, you know, this very low frequency stuff occurring? And in some strange way, the answer is absolutely, absolutely. But the thing is that if there's enough understanding and belief that this could form a means of communication then that brings it into play I mean the way, the analogy that I use it 's almost like an 18th century duel between you know two gentlemen you know <laughs> choose your weapons basically yeah. what will it be <laughs> you know um, uh, swords uh, pistols or cannonets or something like that I mean in other words it 's like y- you have to uh, communicate using the same Device. So, in other words, if we focus on a particular area of the um, of well, I'd say electromagnetic spectrum, as we're dealing with with vibrations and sounds here, but but the same area um, of you know of mechanical recording, then very clearly it's very possible that these other intelligences, if they exist, and remember this is all hypothetical, and we should always bear this in mind. That they will respond by using the, exactly the same means of communication. In other words, we establish a means of two-way communication.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's powerful that, by the way, it's something I want to touch back on before you were talking about as well. You were talking about you. You mentioned a few different coaches that had interactions with this. And I wanted to sort of tie this in a bit, bit as well, because obviously people listen to this and who listened to the previous podcast are aware that you are a, a you study a lot of ancient cultures around the world, but this was a sort of a more of a personal question. I wanted to know when you've been to Gobekli Tepe and other places like the, the Great Pyramids and things like that, have you seen this the, ev- the evidence of what you're talking about now as well in the hieroglyphs and things like that?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, yes and no. The problem is that the longer humanity has been around, the more we've messed it up. Um, the more we create layers of belief systems, um, whether this be from the Paleolithic Age with animism and, and early forms of shamanism, through to the Neolithic uh, with their stone circles and the, the the beginning of the gods and the goddesses, um, through to, you know, the Bronze Age, you know, with their Indo-European ideas of the sun and, and the power of that, the moon. You know, what I'm trying to say is that we create layers. It's And, you know, this these layers are a, a little bit like a... You know, an onion. And to get to the true source of what these NBNs are, we have to um, strip away every one of these layers of this onion to get back to the way that it was originally perceived by our ancestors. When I say our ancestors, I don't even think it was our ancestors because what we now are beginning to understand is that the people that really had it together... With the Denisovans and the Neanderthals, yeah. they had a completely different mindset to us. Um, we're beginning to understand that the, sh- the shape of their skull, particularly the the, the, the Neanderthals, they had a much larger cerebarum, cerebellum at the back of the head. You know, the, the elongated skulls that we know, um, and we know that that area of the brain with the hippocampus um, responds to outside stimuli whether it be of a geophysical nature you know like what you have a number of these portals around the world you know whether it be quartz, whether it be fault lines whether it be um, other types of rare minerals um, you know they have effect upon the brain plus we now know that the denisovans could well have been autistic um, they had to autistic genes which in us when switched on uh, basically yeah you know, place people on the autistic on the autistic spectrum.
2: So, just to jump in, sorry So do you think with that what you just said there about the Denis, denisovans? Do you think that throughout time there could have been like the example of denisovans, there could have been people with a higher state of thinking? And what I mean by that as well is when you talked before about how you said, I think you said this in your book as well about how all around us now there's multiple dimensions that we can't see. Do you think that ancient people could have actually been on a higher state of mind Absolutely. to see this? Yeah, yeah, higher
0: again—not yeah. good word, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but a shifted state shifted, of mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's go back to the Flatlanders. Um, I mean, they only—you know—if if, if a, a sphere goes through their world, all they see is a circle that gradually expands out until it until the sphere me- yeah. reaches its diameter, and then it contracts and disappears again. That's all they see. That's all they'll understand of the third dimension, because they're living in the, in the two dimensions. Well, you know, it, it, it's um, a, a similar idea, again, with the Neanderthals and the Denisovans. It's our sense, again, we can't prove this at the moment, that they saw a little bit of the sphere. you see what I'm saying? Yeah, they saw just yeah. slightly further beyond the flatland world if you want to use that comparison they started to see part of that sphere and we've lost it we've absolutely lost it I mean we are not today shamans in the past there was um, shamanism was something that was accepted I mean I think within these archaic humans it was it was a day you know it was them it was their their way of life every day you know they didn't have little shaman enclaves. they were all shamans essentially I mean, the way I look at it is that they could all see into um, uh, the unseen world. I mean, we have this technology today called HoloLens. You know about this? Um, Microsoft oh, HoloLens. I've never heard of that. Well, forget virtual reality. That, that's, you know, stuff out of the arc. <laughs> you want to go for AR <laughs> now. Yuck. AR. Look up the the, the the HoloLens. Basically, what it allows you to put these, these glasses on and you see your, your normal environment... But within that, you see holograms, whatever you want in a room. It could be a shark, an animal, you know, a castle, whatever it is. And you can walk around it. It's in 3D. It's there all the time. The US military have just um, uh, uh, put in a, an order for, for hundreds of thousands of these lenses because they want to use them to, to train, you know, their, their troops and the rest of it in, in different, um, you know, situations and whatever. I mean, so this is going to be really, really big. We're going to be able to put on these glasses and we will see a whole world around us existing. Now, you think at uh, the Denisovans and the Neanderthals, what if they could see a hollow lens environment all the time? We can't see it today because we're stuck in the, the Flatlander world, although we're obviously in three dimensions, but yeah. the analogy is yeah, there. Yeah, uh, but they could see a little bit more. It's our belief that these archaic humans saw much bigger part of the picture than we do today there's only a few people around that can still do it you know i know a few a few friends of mine um you know that that i've met over the years i call super psychics or direct information psychics that can see you know what appears to be a spirit in the room and it's as physical as i am to you here now if you can think that the archaic humans may well have been able to do this all the time, yeah. Then that's how they were able to advance so quickly. It's funny. We had um, just
2: two seconds. We had a uh, Bruce Parry on our podcast, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work, but he's an, an indigenous um, an indigenous rights advocate, and he sort of goes around the he's, he's went around the world visiting lots of different ancient tribes around the world, and he encountered a group called the Panan. I don't know if you ever heard of them, no. but they're one of the last remaining tribes who still sort of are, are very uh, back to the the original ancestral roots of humans where they were hunter and gathering and things like that and he said that they could also see a different lens of reality just like you're explaining there because they were more in tune with the natural world but a question i want to ask you as well is have you ever asked the question how that how that de-evolution actually happened in 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 us compared to the
0: our ancestors yeah Mm. interbreeding yeah so just it's think, as simple as that. Yeah. It, the yeah. whole thing was watered down within our genes. Um, and oh, quite clearly, the earliest um, Denisovan um, or Denisovan-Neanderthal hybrids would have kept a lot of these. And that's why it appears in only a few people today, because it's virtually been you know, watered down to such a, a level that it's non-existent. And for some mm. reason, it would seem that us as the end product, you know, hobo sapiens sapiens as the end product, we seem to have lost out somewhere along the line. Um, and it's got something to do with interbreeding, I think. And because of this, you know, I don't know whether it means that our own ancestors never had it. Maybe they did, or maybe it was just the whole, you know, the whole process of, of the genetics has, has allowed us to lose it for the most part. Um, I think that, That this is something which is obviously very very sad, but I don't think it it, it it's something that we should say right. Well, let's all give up and go home. We can obviously develop psychic abilities. There are certain people out there um, who do have developed psychic abilities. We can't be super shamans. We can't be you know trained shamans really. I mean they're not any more, but we can do our best. And it's about what we refer to now as intentionality. In other words, if you want to try and communicate. With these beings, it's not doing some highfalutin ritual, it's about the absolute focus and intentionality. You've got to break through all of those layers yeah. of the onion and get to the very center, the very core of this, get rid of the belief systems, uh, and only then can we truly start considering the possibility that we can communicate with the potential of these M beings, these higher dimensional life forms.
1: Do you do you think on in the aspect of it of um, trying to find this communication, do you think the communication is going to be found through us in our own consciousness or are we going to look for some form of external technology to begin the form of communication?
0: Well, I think we should use everything. I mean, you know, we, we have to work with technology and science to do with this. Uh, at the moment, we're looking at, at the, at you know, very low frequency range, uh, which is sub-audio. Obviously, you can't hear it, but um, but we have to work with everything. Mm. Every area of the electromagnetic spectrum, you know, whether it be gamma rays, whether it be microwaves, whether it be radio waves, um, visible light spectrum, um, every every single part of it the infrared we have to work with it all mm. you know don't don't shut out anything if yeah. immediately you start shutting stuff out you're closing it down you're you may well be missing opportunities yeah. so we have to use technology but technology with consciousness consciousness yeah. is the key here focused consciousness um and you know this you know you could do rituals you could do ceremonies but focus meditations are really important, and interacting with a landscape over a prolonged, prolonged period of time—days—don't just turn up at a place and expect something to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to connect with the landscape, and also look into these ideas of the portals. You know, again, this is a term which is used a lot. It's used for places like Rendlesham Forest or Skinwalker Ranch, whatever. Um, again, we don't like using these because it gives the idea that there is some kind of wormhole that things are over that side and they, they, they come through the wormhole like something out of Stargate yeah, yeah. and end up over here like Arnie, you <laughs> know, brushing <laughs> himself down and, and, and walking away. It doesn't work like that. You know, th- th- this, this is not what it's about. Uh, I mean, I think it would be foolish to try it and, um, and 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 describe or say that you know how this mm. work or how these entities may actually be able to appear in our space time because there does that is also the other possibility mm. that a lot of what we call aliens, a lot of what we call like uFOs monsters like Mothman in uh, Point Pleasant um, in um, West Virginia in the 1960s that appeared just before the Silver Bridge collapsed um, this, this These are possible possible intrusions from a multi dimensional environment. They had an impact on us. They weren't just supernatural events. Oh, look, there's a strange light over there. Mm-hmm. Oh, isn't that pretty? I mean, that could have a, a, an explanation that's more obvious. What we're talking about is the possible impact of these life forms upon humanity. And that's something that's going to be much more difficult to prove. But I believe it is a possible answer.
1: Uh, and also sorry to oh, <laughs> interrupt there. Um, I was just wondering, a little question that was on my mind was, Um, you've obviously been researching this a while and you've obviously understood the history about from the various abductions from time, do you think more
0: people are abducted now or then or do you think there's been a decline or an increase I have no idea, I mean during the 1980s there was a a, a huge upsurge of, of of uh, abductions in the ufo world and this could be because it was being publicized by the likes of um, whitney streber in his book communion um, which was a worldwide bestseller um, and that people thought about this or and maybe people were coming forward more or whatever during that time and because of that these experiences were becoming more common as a result of that i don't know but what i can say is that they've been going on since the beginning of time most mm. almost certainly Fairy abductions, abductions by demons, you know, uh, f- people being carried off to, to, to paradise and heaven in, in the, the hands of Jesus. I mean, all of these are what we call acceptance levels of interaction with this phenomena. Mm-hmm. And they may or may not be associated with these, you know, these multiple dimensional environments. I think that they probably are. I think that, as I mentioned at the beginning of the of, of, of our talk here, that... That some of these abduction experiences, you know, almost certainly most of the missing time ones, people are being taken out of normal space time. They're entering into a multidimensional environment, which mm. I call a bubble universe I was going to ask that opens a up.
2: Question on that: What do you think is happening with that when the when there is a loss of time?
0: Well, I think that they're they're in a created environment, what I call a bubble universe that opens up, and essentially. Um, is a slightly different angle, if you like, to the, the you know the, the structure of our own three dimensional existence. It's almost like it's it's it, it exists within it, you know, spaces within spaces, as H.P. Uh, Lovecraft wrote about, um, and that once you're in this environment, that your consciousness interacts with the consciousness of the intelligences that you're dealing with to create an environment that's exists on a temporary level and because we now believe that ufos and aliens are technology that we therefore believe that we've been abducted aboard a technology made craft so we see handles and we see press buttons and we see rooms uh, and we see people you know at at control panels because that's what our mind thinks we should be seeing whereas in the past people. in the same thing would see jesus standing there with his arms and next thing they would they knew they'd be flying through the heavens with the angels i mean it, it you know or going off into a fairy environment dancing with the fairies all night yeah. it, you know it, it's what we expect to happen under that circumstance that's what happens within these bubble universes now this is just out of interest my, my, you know i've written various books on these subjects um it's not a plug this Say where where I'm coming from with with a lot of this. Um, I mean, I did a book called Alien Energy. This was one of my first attempts. That came out in 1994. But in 2012, I did a book called Light Quest, which brings together a lot of these topics. But it's only really when, been within the last year that that I've gone heavily back into it, uh, working particularly uh, with my close colleague uh, Debbie Cartwright, who I was only discussing some of these subjects with that we're talking about just a few days ago um because uh, I I am going to do a new book on this or or certainly revise light quest uh, I'm going to possibly be working on a documentary film on this subject cool, um well. and Definitely. there's a lot of interest in this and there's interest from people within you know areas like silicon valley and whatever they are intrigued with this they're thinking hold on you know you, you could be onto something here you know if if these these higher life forms exist, then is it possible that they can be, you know, we can work with them? Mm. Can they help us advance technology and science? Uh, And I think this is the way where we're going here. The important thing, and this is crucial, is that we cannot turn this into a religion because that's what's happened with the UFO subject right now. A lot of the, the, you know, the, the large events that take place, which, yeah, obviously, hopefully I attend yeah. as well occasionally. Um, unfortunately, some of the, the, the speakers have now virtually turned this into religion. And a lot of the people believe what they want to believe. They don't let truth get in the way. Um, it's important that we don't do this. We mm. don't do this with the end beings and end contact, whatever. This is exploration. This is not explanation. This is exploration. That's what we are doing here. You know, you can't go down the same route as as we've gone before that everything that happened in the past has got to be something to do with aliens, you know, ancient aliens. I mean, some of it might. Who knows? I mean, obviously, you know, the more we we, we know about about the possibility of extraterrestrial visitors and that, the the more it does seem possible. Even Carl Sagan wrote a paper in 1960, Um, you know, basically concluding that it was inevitable that in the past that we were visited, you know, by what we now call ancient aliens. So it's happened. But what its impact was on human civilization that's a big question mark at this time. Mm. But again, it's the same thing with, with the end beings. You know, we have to be careful not to say, well, you know, Uh, we evolved quickly and that the Niservans evolved quickly in the past must be something with the NBNC. We've got to not do that. It's essential that, you know, we we, we look at this from an objective point of view. I won't say scientific because I'm not a scientist, but from an objective point of view. All of my colleagues, the people that will view this have to do the same. This is exploration. You know, and I think that it's going to help giving us, it's going to help give us New explanations for the UFO phenomenon, because that's the other thing which we, you know, we haven't even really got onto. I think that a lot of manifestations of mystery lights, uh, structured craft, are in some way some glimpse of this multidimensional contact. Mm -hmm. Go back to the Flatlanders again. You know, the 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 sphere going through their their world, and it's the the, the circle opening up. I think that what we see is you know these 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 lights, these objects, something. Yes, we're interacting with them. Yes, we might be changing the way they look through through quantum entanglement. But in some strange way, they are one of the ways that we're able to perceive on a very, very minute level what's going on in these multidimensional environments. That's the kind of impact and, and interaction. But even that, it's not something that's affecting humanity. Yes, it's making us look and go, oh, look, what's that? But w- it needs to be more than that. It's about what is the impact of this on human civilization, yeah. human technology, uh, human advancement. That's what we need to be understanding. Yeah. Because if we see all this as pure technology, nuts and bolts, spacecraft coming down from another planet, nothing is ever going to be resolved. Yeah. Yeah. You I know, guess, We're, we're going to be saying yeah. that there's going to be di- disclosure every year and it's never going to come.
2: Yeah. I know you said before it's a big question, but do you have any theories of what... The impact actually
0: has been on on human civilization so far. It's difficult to say. Yeah. We should not if, if if we if we if we start doing this, then I think that we it, it's like we're compartmentalizing it in a way which is going to say, oh, well they, they they helped us build the Great Pyramid. Yeah, it's we don't know that. Yeah, we have no idea about that. All we can say is that there is the potential that in the past they have impacted. Mm. on human civilization and the development of the human mind. And that's the way that we're going. And I do believe very strongly that not just archaic humans like the Denisovans or the the Neanderthals will have been aware of the the existence of end beings, but Mm. that some human societies will also have been aware of them right the way through to the modern day you know, that that they're aware of their presence in some way. Yeah. But somehow what they've been able to do is strip away a lot of the the layers of this hypothetical onion and get to the base of it. You know, in other words, they're not just worshipping, you know, snakes and, and birds and whatever else, you know. It, they've been able to penetrate through that, get through that and realise there's something else out there. But again, as I said, be careful not to make this into a religion I think I think that's
1: understandable I mean a lot of people will if if it came on a global aspect that we found out there was undeniable proof that aliens existed visited earth and the government came out and revealed to us that here it is and we're actually going to engage in some form of communication with these entities on a scale of it are we prepared is um, a global society enlightened enough to reach out? Because from what you said before, you said, what will this do for human evolution? What will this do for... Because it seems very yeah, say, egotistical I, on the side of humans to just think, it's going to be for us. It's going to be for us. How are we are going to advance us? Not as much as we're yeah. going to advance them. Yeah. It sounds like maybe we're not ready to really listen. Well,
0: I mean, it's very difficult to know how, let's say, the end beings will be perceiving us at this time it could be and i'll use an analogy here it could be that they are aware of our existence but they see us almost like ants you Mm. know ants in an anthill we can study ants we can write papers on them we can show that they they have some form of intelligence we know that they that they use you know aphids for instance to do their 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 work and you know keep those and raise them um you know they form interesting patterns there's some kind of intelligence going on there but that's it. You know, other people will, will go along, stamp on the ant hill, pour boiling water over them or, or yeah. s- spray ant powder and kill them, right? But what if one day those ants all got together, climbed up a wall and spelt out your name? <laughs> you'd, still t- you'd start taking notice of them then. Surely you mm-hmm. wouldn't, you? And you'd suddenly realise that you'd underestimated how intelligent they were. And this is what we've got to do with the end beings We've got to show them that we have an intelligence that they need to be aware of and that when we can achieve this, at that point, I believe that they will turn around and say, yes, we can start working with you. But not until that. Until that time, all the best we can do is just poke them. Poke <laughs> them. And they'll just come, what's that? What's that? And we'll get some kind of response. But it's, you know, it's just like poking the, 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 the toe of a huge giant, I'm afraid. Every, so now, and
2: do it every it. now and again, though, you do get a little and that'll bite you. Yeah, yeah. It makes <laughs>
1: yeah. It, sorry to interrupt again. It just makes me wonder as well on the aspect of when these um, these interactions with these alien yeah. species occur. Could these just be? Uh, would it be on the whole concept of would their whole civilization know about it, or would they just be like some rogue, like spaceship, just, coming just over like past there is now this yeah. like secret agenda?
2: Yeah, like government. us. Well,
0: just like again, us the trouble is. That you're already compartmentalizing what's going on here you're talking in terms of civilization mm-hmm. when we think in terms of civilization you know we're thinking sit, you know towns, cities, road, road structures, Individual you know, and, and, and everything else you know, we don't know whether any kind of civilization we don't know whether they live at a certain place we don 't know whether they're, they're they could be all around us all the time you know, it's, we don't know what they are. We mm. put faces on them. You know, whether we make them alien greys, whether we make them mothman, whether we make them, you know, big dogs with fiery eyes or whatever. It, it, that's our... We've done that.
1: Yeah. True. We
0: have created that. So we don't know as yet. Um, all we need to do is to raise the possibility that these M beings exist and then to try... And work out what they are and how we can communicate with them, and whether they have had an impact on human society in the past.
2: Well, powerful point there. I wanted something else. I want to touch on with you and ask your opinion on. I think I know. I've heard you talk about this before. The the a lot of people see it's as alien uh, structure. The Tabby Star. Mm. Could you sp- speak on that?
0: Yeah, I mean Tabby Star. Um, came to public notice in 2015 uh, when it was announced that it was doing very strange things. Uh, Its light was dipping by uh, up to 22% on one occasion, 17% on another. Um, And it had been observed um, by the the Kepler um, Space Telescope for about five years, and there were a number of other more minor uh, dips in light. And it was suggested uh, originally by um, dr Uh, jason wright an astronomer of penn state uh, that perhaps this is what we should be looking for as evidence of some kind of alien megastructure Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's taking the energy that's coming from this particular sun That's what it is obviously that's what a star is um with it's in a main sequence star uh, and using it, you know, to power their computers, their out there spacecraft, whatever else it is. Simplices. In other words, they, they take they're absorbing it, almost like you know, massive solar panels, if you like, that they're setting up, uh, whether it be on one one object or a number of objects around it. So that's what's actually dipping the light occasionally. Of course, this whole thing went viral, uh, worldwide story. Uh, more recently. Uh, it's been suggested that there's nothing to see; it's all dust. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay, that's that's what you'll read now. But the fact of the matter is that myself and my colleague um, Rodney Hale, who've mentioned already, looked into these light sequences, the dipping of the light sequences, and we found that they had mathematical patterns, and these patterns specifically related to the number eleven and multiples of the number eleven. But more specifically, the numbers that were coming up, uh, and by the way, you know, you, you wanna if you want to read these papers, just go onto the news page of andrewcollins.com and you can click through and read them. Is that these numbers seem to be reflecting the rows, particularly row eleven, of Pascal's triangle, which we've already mentioned. And this is this pyramid structure of numbers um, that are created by adding together the, the, the one above it. Sorry, the, the two above it into one, and and you just, you just create this huge yes. structure. I mean, I won't go into it, but everything from from pi to uh, the Fibonacci sequence, all the rest of it, and and various yeah you know, mathematical predictions and rest can, can be calculated using Pascal's triangle. I mean, it's, it's it's very fascinating and very very important thing. I mean, the the um, the Vedic uh, Indian. Uh, People, uh, you know, they sussed it out uh, a couple thousand years ago. So did the Persians, so did the Chinese. And it was reinvented by a guy called uh, Blaise Pascal in the 17th century, a French uh, mathem- mathematician. Uh, and it's and, and the important thing is is that these mathematical patterns coming from Tabby Star seem to be showing an importance, not just in Pascal's triangle, but row 11. Now, mm-hmm. the importance about row 11 is that the first row relates to Dimension one, second row, dimension two, the Flatlander world, dimension three, where we are, but all of the geometry was being formed by the rows as they went down. So row eleven very clearly relates to eleven dimensions, mm. and of course wow. this is the amount of dimensions that is talked about in certain theories of um, of, of superstring theory, but also supergravity theory, uh, and I i sense my intuition is that that there is something important with 11 dimensions and that you know that people's intuition about the importance of 11 and 1111 somehow relates to this in some way um but that's it i mean those patterns we noted them we wrote papers on them they're out there uh have a look at them in other words i don't think that it was all just dust there's something else going on there it could even be that the star itself is sentient And that when our focus went on it, that in some way it responded, you know, this idea of quantum entanglement um, allowed some connection with the consciousness of the star or possibly even some kind of intelligence that was associated with that star. And that even though it may be dismissed by astronomers today, that there's more going on with Tabby's Star, and we've now found that there are other stars out there that are also dimming their light in strange ways. Yeah. Um, so I think this is something that's going to go on, uh, on and on. I don't think this is something that's going to, you know, just die now.
2: Yeah. When well, you were talking about messages there though I think I'm sure it was Robert Verveld. He talked about how there's there is messages within the embedded within the great pyramid like mathematics and things like that mm. could that have been could ancients actually been embedding a message to do with like contacting certain absolutely. star systems and things like
0: absolutely. that absolutely and um i mean what robert um based on the work of some of his colleagues was saying is that the main number that seems to be resonating from the great Pyramid is 11 really? and the wow. number one two one uh, awesome. 11 obviously it was the first number of pascal's triangle. one, 11, one, two, one, is 1111 11. The next number down in Pascal's triangle is one three three one, which is eleven cubed, etc., etc. That's, that's how the whole structure works, and with embedded within this is the geometry of dimensions, which I find incredibly fascinating. That you've also got this within the Great Pyramid, uh, and, and you know one two one crops up again and again in association with the Great Pyramid. Now you've got to ask yourself: Did the architect? purposely build in this number or is it something that he just did intuitively i say he i mean there is you know names associated with the the, the, the architect of the great pyramid and um he's actually even got a um a master of uh, you know burial site on the on the plateau so yeah we know there were people physical people that that created the great pyramid uh and i think it's something which is updated all the time it's almost like it's very possible that the mind of the architect or architects behind the Great Pyramid could be influenced even to this day by what's going on out there, in particularly in connection with Tabby's Star. Um, because remember, the Great Pyramid, as far as my findings and others are concerned, is orientated towards the setting of the, the bright stars of Cygnus, the constellation of the Swan or the, or the Celestial Bird. Um, Tabby's Star is in the Cygnus constellation. Uh, and the ancients saw Cygnus as a point of first creation in many different countries around the world. It was also seen as a point of origin of human souls and a place where our souls return to in death. This is universal, right the way across the Norman, Northern Hemisphere. And I, be- I believe that these ideas probably go back to archaic humans, most obviously the Denisovans, in my opinion.
2: It does really make you question on what ideas were they trying to transcend through these structures and things like that. Something else I wanted to um, touch on as well is I know you you mentioned this as well when we last talked as well. I, I'll, I don't know the name of this, but you, the, the probe
0: that you talk about, the... Oh, uh, Umayya Maya. Yeah, Maya. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean... I didn't want to pronounce that case. I completely I mean, this is, it. <laughs> this is probably
0: a, the subject of a complete separate interview, but in um, last year, uh, this interstellar visitor... Uh, entered into our uh, solar system. And just to a up a picture as well. And that's
2: the one with the depiction that a yeah, lot of and, and, are depicted with the sort of black looks like a sort of a black sort
0: of rock, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean it, it's cigar shaped. Yeah, um, and it could be as much as as ten times um, at the you know in, the length is ten times that of its width. Uh, at first, it was suggested it might be a comet. Uh, then it was going to be an asteroid, uh, and then nobody really knew. And they they said, well, it must be a new type of, of of object we haven 't come across before, but there is mounting evidence to suggest that it 's artificial in nature, mm. and not only in the exact manner that it entered into our solar system um, on an orbit which t- suggested directionality, but as it went round the sun past the earth and went out into the you know the, the, the area of the outer solar system. Um, it not only speeded up, but it did change direction as well. And this was not expected. Mm. Now, the astronomers said, well, therefore it must be a comet because it's outgassing. In other words, the, the, the substance that's made up of its surface is melting and, it's, and some of the gases is, is spurting out and it, it's allowing it to change course. But there's absolutely no evidence it is a comet. A comet mm. would create a long tail. Um, it would also create a certain um, signature around its top um, and none of this is there. Uh, so it that can't be the the, the explanation. Um, NASA looked at uh, tried to look at uh, Maya Maya using the spitzer uh, space telescope when this looks into the infrared range they couldn't see it now, that might sound um, you know, like a, a bad result, but it's not. It's good because it actually allows them to define what size it was because they couldn't see it. They, yeah. In theory, anything bigger than such and such, they would have been able to see it. So it's actually a lot smaller. They thought it was about the size of the Empire State Building and probably almost a similar shape, but they now realise it could be much smaller. But what this means is that the surface is incredibly shiny to be able to reflect light, which is what... Alerted us to it in the first place. It's also pancaking, you know. In other words, like a pancake rolling over, and the light is coming in bursts. Yeah. And so, in other words, you're only seeing it as it as it tumbles over, uh, 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 you know, and the light is reflecting off it of, of the sun. Now, this is suggesting that it's actually highly shiny on its. End. Now, I'm not saying it's metallic. I'm really not, yeah. but it's something that we have not. Encountered before, and there is a, a Harvard professor of astronomy, a head of the department um, at Harvard, by the name of Dr. A.V. Loeb, who's fast becoming my hero of the year because he wrote a paper uh, recently uh, basically setting out everything that was known about Moya, um, Maya Maya, which is, by the way, a Hawaiian name, yeah. uh, which means something like um, the scout. Who comes first, or the scout that comes? Scout from, from the far, past, I think, isn't it? Something yeah. like that, yeah. Um, and it was given to it because it was first uh, that was first um, identified by a uh, Astron- astronomical observatory in Hawaii, so they they named it. But basically, he set out in a paper that's been published only in the last uh, couple of weeks that there is enough evidence here for us to look at the possibility that this is an artificial structure, possibly a light sail, uh, one which uh, of a type that would utilize the energy of the sun or any particular star to propel it through the galaxy. Uh, And also that, that, what else did he say? Um, I mean, you know, he he, he summed up all of the different um, pieces of evidence and has put it out there. And again, this is a story that's gone viral once again on on the internet and it's been in many uh, papers around the world. Uh, And I think he's onto something. Uh, I mean, I think I'm coming to the conclusion that I think he's correct, that this is an artificial structure. Uh, He's also suggested it could actually be a purpose, a purpose, purposely directed probe. Now it could be out of control. It could be controlled by AI. You know, in other words, it's actually lost connection with its home planet, but it's still doing its thing as an AI. So, in other words, it's come into solar system, it, it does it on a you know a certain position. It goes round, looks for habitable planets, and goes out again, but it's lost contact. Yeah. The idea that it's spinning over is quite unusual. Uh, it suggests it may be out of control, uh, but it still was able to outgas. Uh, and, and put it onto a different course to get out of the inner solar system. But I you- mean, now I think it's somewhere in the area of Jupiter. We can't see it anymore. We're not going to be able to send a, a, you know, a satellite probe or whatever out there to look at it ourselves because it's just going too fast.
2: But imagine if it's some sort of um. Sorry, to jump in again, but imagine if it's some sort of like space intelligence. And what I mean by that is, is just like you described. We we're talking about before the conversation of we look at an ant and we mm-hmm. perceive human intelligence is like sort of a, like sort of a physical body like we've got, like these meat suits and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Like this could be sort of this this artificial rock formation probe looking could be some sort of intelligent sort of thing. Like I mean the, the whole the whole universe for all we know, it's a mysterious place. Yep. Could be yep. life forms all oh, over absolutely. the place. I yeah. mean
0: this this Moya Moya could be a life form in its own right. yeah It may just be doing its own thing. Um it might spin in that manner because that's what what it does. Um we don't know, but the importance about all of this, and, and we probably never will be able to know definitively whether it is artificial or natural, but the importance is that people are talking about this, yeah. and people like you know Dr. A.V. Loeb of uh, Harvard are sticking their neck out. And this, this guy, I mean, he's got everything to lose as far as his job is concerned, yeah. so to speak, but he's sticking to his guns. He's saying that his colleague, he's criticizing his colleagues for not being open-minded, and I think this is right. And this new openness to do not just with the idea of alien life existing out there, but also the idea that alien technology is out there, really mm. started with Star in 2015. Because once... One astronomer came out of the closet, as it were, <laughs> uh, then many others started to say well actually i 'm okay with this idea as well you know i 'm not said anything, but i 'm okay with the idea of alien civilizations uh, and it 's so strange because I actually think that one of the things that 's actually changing people 's minds is the the program ancient aliens and that 's a weird thing to no, say absolutely. I mean I appear on it well, regularly and, and i, I 'm very happy." To be a part of it
2: on on my journey when I first started, and Chris knows this, mm-hmm. ancient aliens was a big, uh, big thing in my life that propelled me on. A consciousness us on to many different yeah. topics. So yeah, exactly. you got me into it as well, exactly.
0: Yeah. Because that program is seen, each episode is seen by anything up to forty to fifty million people around the world. It, it's it's translated into virtually every language. Well, certainly many languages. Yeah. I mean, Chinese, dubbed in Chinese. I've seen me, seen me in Italian, you know, coming up there, speaking Italian. And <laughs> it's great. It's great. Some some places around the world, it's even on terrestrial channels. In, in South Africa, for instance, it's on one of their main terrestrial channels. Oh. Uh, and, of course, what this is doing is stimulating people's brains mm. uh, in a way which, obviously, the inspiration for the the, the TV show... Uh, did in the first place and that's Chariots of the Chariots of the Gods by Eric von Daniken which came out at the end of the nineteen sixties. Really good as well. It stimulated people's minds. Nobody's saying that he got everything right, but he stimulates the idea that there are ancient technologies and ideas here which we cannot simply explain by the natural progress of human society. Something else was going on. It may be aliens. It may be the fact that we were helped by Survivors Atlantis or whatever. I mean, my current favourite thing clearly is that we were given, you know, the head start by these archaic humans, the Neanderthals, uh, the Denisovans, and of course the hybrids of those that that came after them. That's my, you know, opinion today. Uh, but I'm not saying that there was not alien intervention in the past. I think there probably was. But again, it's a case of what its impact was. We cannot mm. you know, look at every piece of ancient technology and say aliens. We cannot do that yeah. because it starts to become a religion. And as I said, going back to what we said about end mm. beings and the idea of transdimensional contact, we have to try desperately to avoid making this into a religion
2: yeah mm. I love that just as well it feels like a good place to end it as well but just before I do that is there any maybe is there any question that you wish I asked you or anything that's on your mind in regards to the work you have been doing about UFOs and things like that just because I, I don't want to like sort of miss, miss any miss yeah. anything that's no that's an itching um, in the back I, of your mind
0: okay here's the thing just be aware that there's an awful lot of people talking crap out there yeah and question Everything, everything that you look at on YouTube you know, or any specialised you know, mm. TV channel or any conference or event that you go to, when people say things, don't just believe it, seriously check yeah, it out. definitely. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's it. Because, you know, we, we have to drag this back. We've had 70 years of the UFO phenomena where we've really got nowhere. And in fact, it's getting to the point that it is almost now a religion. Mm. We have to pull it back, go back to the basics and start again. And that's what I'm trying to do at the moment. Powerful.
2: Definitely. Powerful podcast. Thank you. Thanks, bro. Powerful, powerful. <laughs> now, that was such a great conversation with Andrew Collins. Really is an interesting researcher and really does do every single topic that he talks about justice. I hope you enjoyed that conversation there, the UFO conversation with a little bit of a spin. I really thought some of the information that he did bring the table in that conversation there was very fascinating some stuff that I haven't heard in the UFO conversation so I hope you enjoyed that next week on the podcast we have we bring to you a podcast debate we want to do more of these in the future as I think it'll be really interesting so next week on the podcast We have a flat earth debate. Yes, I know this is going to be very controversial. And that is why next week on the podcast, we wanted to have a debate with the flat earth conversation. So that me and Chris could completely stay impartial and stay on the fence. And allow two top researchers to basically bring their message and bring their work to the table and see what everyone thinks about it. So look out for that next week. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast this week. Please consider supporting the podcast through our Patreon page or one-off donation option. And that's all we ask. Anyway, peace and love.